Song of Solomon, chapter number one. Song of Solomon, chapter number one. Now, it's been a little while since I've been here. <laughs> we took off on vacation and missed a couple of Wednesday nights. Had a great time, wonderful time. I was doing a little reading today. J.C. Ryle is an old Anglican writer. Uh, he died in 1900, very conservative fellow. He would not fit in the Anglican church today, I don't think at all. But he was talking about the coming of the Lord. And he said this, when the Lord returns, we're all going to be ashamed that we didn't love him more. And we're all going to wonder why we didn't. Our old flesh gets in the way, doesn't it? Troubles us and drags us down and dulls and deadens us. Well, hallelujah, we're going to a place where the roses will never fade. Amen. The Song of Songs, I think I explained that to you a couple of weeks ago, that Solomon had written a 1,005 songs, but this was it. You know, you can listen to the pop music and they'll do the one-hit wonders where somebody sang one song uh, that made it real well and never did again. Well, Solomon wrote 1,005, but this is the best one. Um, I know I mentioned to you that it's sometimes called the book of canticles. Uh, and that's an antiphonal singing. You have different groups involved here. You have the watchmen, the keepers of the, the wall and the watchmen. Then you have the bride and the groom. And there's going to be singing back and forth one to another. And remember this, in Middle Eastern culture, the highest form of joy that you could express was to be expressed by singing. Uh, our society is a little different than that, but in Bible uh, times, in Bible lands, uh, singing was it. And, and might I remind you in Zephaniah chapter 3, it'll be it's verse 17, that the Lord's going to joy over us with singing. Can you imagine the, the rapture takes place, the mighty rapture, the dead in Christ are raised first. We which are alive and remain to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, caught up together within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And to, to get there and for him to start singing to us and for us, and about us. Might change the way we sing down here a little bit, might if we think about that. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. We'll read a couple more verses, but that's all we're going to cover tonight. Just verse 2. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I want you to ponder with me the kisses of his mouth. Now I think I'd forewarned you that this book uses what would be considered some intimate and some very intimate uh, terminology, uh, but it's not a book about physical relationships between men and women. It's not a book for a husband and wife to get and read and learn how to ha have uh, physical relations. 
It's a book about having spiritual relationship with the Lord, about worship, uh, about drawing close to Him. And so all these figures of speech uh, have something uh, behind them. We talked about the, the goat's hair and uh, the sheep, the, the mouth being like sheep. Everyone bearing twins means you got the upper and the lower, and none of them's barren. Talk about all the teeth are there. Uh, those are, you, you can just imagine, they didn't have dentists, I don't reckon, back then, at least not like we do. And so all of those things would be pertinent uh, as they looked at each other. And then in the husband and wife relationship, he describes the joints of her thighs, which is very intimate. He talks about her navel, uh, talks about her breast, but none of those are in a sexual sense. They're all in something that I, I believe we're going to draw some... Uh, some help and some wonder from. And so I want to encourage you to whatever level you're thinking on right now, and I'm, I want to do this for me too, let's push our thinking up an, a level or two and get into typology where instead of thinking so much about the literal, and I do believe this is a literal event where you have the, the Shunammite or Shulamite marrying Solomon. This is literally what took place. Uh, but the spiritual import of this book, I think, is tremendous. For the ancients, one kiss sealed an espousal. A wedding contract was agreed upon by the parents, usually long before the bride and groom were old enough to understand the process. Um, a lot of the world functions on arranged marriages. A lot of the world does. Um, you don't have to go too far back in English history to see arranged marriages between families, powerful families. Uh, but a lot of the rest of the world uh, functions that way, where the families arrange the marriages. And that tells me something about marriage and about love. Love is a choice. It's a commitment. We don't fall into love. You fall into holes. And so if you fall in love, what are you trying to do? Get out. And that's why you have people say, well, I, I fell in love with this person, but I don't love them anymore. They didn't love them to begin with. They had some infatuation with them. They had some type of attraction to them. Love is a commitment. Love is a choice, and we can grow it. And familiarity obviously helps to, to do that. Uh, we have a saying in America, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, but if you have an attraction towards a, uh, a lady, if you're a man, Familiarity just makes you want more. Uh, you're not trying to cut it off and make it less. Upon finalizing the contract, a period of a spousal was agreed upon. It could be anywhere from six months to a year. I don't remember reading about any longer than a year, but there might have been. And so usually about a, a year before the wedding was to take place, the bride and groom were allowed one kiss, just one. And that kiss sealed the marriage contract just as though they were legally married and they were considered legally married in many ways. That's why Joseph, when he found out that Mary was with child, was minded to put her away privately. He didn't want to expose her to open ridicule, but he didn't want to take uh, a, a lady who, who had been unfaithful to him even before they had had an opportunity to be together. And so while he thought on these things, the Lord spoke to him. Well, what would we think about if we're going to take these kisses of his mouth and his love being better than wine, how are we going to get something for us out of that? Uh, we see a, 
uh, a young man, a young lady, they're kissing some. Uh, Look in chapter 2 for just a minute. Verse 9, my beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. Well, that's a picture of a young couple playing in a garden. Uh, maybe there's a garden house, and one of them gets in there and peeps out the window at the other, and they're, they're just sporting is what the Bible calls it. Remember, uh, uh, Isaac was sporting with, with his wife, Rebecca, and Pharaoh saw that, and he said, hey, wait a minute, that's not brother and sister. And so this picture here is of a young couple who are giggling and laughing in a garden. They're peeping through the lattice work for the flowers are. And so as we take that picture, then we start thinking about, well, maybe every so often if he, if he caught her, uh, she'd say she'd give him a kiss. Or if she caught him, he'd give her a kiss. I can see that, that type of playing going on. But our text says for us, they let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So how's that going to be? Where am I going to get something from that? Well, there's the kiss of Calvary. The kiss of Calvary. Uh, Salvation. Look in uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 2, for just a minute. Psalm 2 and verse number 2, I believe it is. No, excuse me, verse 12. Psalm 2 and verse 12. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. A kiss is a sign. Now, what kind of sign is it? It's a sign of love. Sign of love. I, you don't just walk down the street and say, can I kiss you to uh, full strangers? No, you, you reserve that for your husband, your wife, or perhaps you're giving your children a, a kiss on the cheek. But love is an attribute of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, the Bible says. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son to pay our sin debt, to satisfy the debt that we owe God. His love is an attribute of God. Now, his love, as we're looking here, when he, and it's in that verse 2, for thy love is better than wine. Uh, his love is better than wine. And, you know, they give you all these things about wine and uh, Charles Spurgeon said this about drinking. I thought it was very interesting. He said, wine as it was originally done and created by God would never make anybody drunk. He said, who would have ever thought we'd have the mass of drunken men and women that we do now in the world who have polluted and defiled what God gave them for good and turned it into something for bad? And he Seemingly, he's a teetotaler because he said it's a wise thing to say, let it alone. But we have the comparison here, and we can't avoid it. We're not going to cut it out of the Bible, say it doesn't belong. But they'll usually try to tell you that, that the older some wine is, the better it is. You know, this wine comes from such and such a date, and this is a good year for wine, all that kind of nonsense. And I want to tell you that God's love has been around a lot longer than any wine that any man has ever put his hands to or tried to create. His love is better than wine for its antiquity. And it's of the purest of nature, by the way. It's from everlasting. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 3 tells us that. Uh, It is better for its purity. You have to add something to grape juice to make it ferment. 
Now, I'm not a fermentation specialist, but I do know that when we read in the Bible about strong drink and wine, they're not talking about stuff like people drink today. Distillation was not known amongst uh, human beings until about the uh, ninth century. So we weren't able to distill alcohol like they do. Uh, they, they weren't able to distill it as we do. We can get uh, pure grain alcohol, 190 proof. That's 95% alcohol. Uh, most bourbons and whiskeys are somewhere around 80 to 90 uh, proof, and you cut that in half tells you how much alcohol is in it. So they didn't have the ability back in Bible days to do that. But when you would take grape juice, you had to put something with it to get it to ferment, to create, get that process going. And so they had to add something to it. You don't have to add a thing to God's love. It's pure. It's the best there is. It's, there's no, no defilement to it. There's nothing that needs to be weeded out. There's nothing that's untasty. There's nothing that's bad or sad or would uh, push you away in the, in the least little bit. While we were yet uh, sinners, while we yet lacked strength, Christ died for us. He came to save sinners. Only pure love would go to the cross for its enemies. How many of us got a son? How many of us would give our son to save the state of Tennessee? How many of us would give our son to save the United States of America? Probably none of us. I might be willing to go. I might say, take me. But I can't see me surrendering my son. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What pure, what pure love God had to have. I, I bought a little book. I hadn't got started reading it yet. But I, I bought two little small ones, one by Thomas Goodwin and one by another guy. Uh, name escapes me right now. But I've been reading, it's the incomparableness of Christ. But the one by uh, Goodwin, Thomas Goodwin, is about uh, Jesus dying for sinners. It's all it's about. And he said, our sin, instead of running God away from us, is the cause why he loves us so much. Because he knows we're trapped. He knows without him we have no hope. Oh, what love. What love he showed to us that he would come down here to this earth. What did he hear in heaven? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Heard the hallelujahs of the saints. And he left all of that aside and came down to this earth to be born in a stable. To be cursed and mocked and ridiculed by silly, foolish men. Even the religious leaders of his day. And to be unjustly condemned. Beaten to the point where most of us would have died. And then nailed to a cross. And they hung him up between heaven and earth. Said we don't want him God. You can have him back. Only love would cause any entity. Any being to do that. And there is none other. Every other religion requires us to do something. Christianity says it's been done. It's finalized. His love is better than wine. For it's abundance. The Bible says it's shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost. You won't ever get too much of the love of God. You can get too much wine. Um, in the book of Amos, God mocked the Jewish people, the, the 
northern tribes because they drank wine out of bowls. In other words, they wanted to get drunk, and they couldn't get drunk drinking small amounts, so they would drink larger amounts. Drink it, get the alcohol in their system, go outside and throw up, come back in and do, start the whole process over again to get drunken. What you'll never get too much of the love of God. Look in Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Well, some good statements there from the psalmist, isn't it? Let me tell you what will happen to wine. Keep it too long, it'll sour. The love of God will never sour. It's an everlasting love. Hey, he loved you before you was ever born. He loved you before you'd ever seen the light of day. He loved us before the world was, was created. He loved us. Here's a little poem. I love my God, but with no love of mine, for I have none to give. I love thee, Lord, but all the love is thine, for by thy life I live. You know what his love isn't? It's not something to be questioned. Amen. You, you can take as much of it and, and you don't ever have to question the quality. You don't ever have to question the quantity. You don't ever have to question anything about it. But if you're going to be drinking wine, you'd want to know some things. Is this sweetened? Is it unsweetened? What, you know, how, what, how much alcohol? You want all that kind of stuff. But his love is not something that can't be taken without question. That's a double negative, but I don't know how else to express it. It, it can be had without price. <laughs> Wine you have to buy. Wine you have to question. But the love of God is beyond question, and the love of God's beyond price. Listen, men have lost everything they have for the love of wine. When I was a young fellow working in a grocery store, I started out, at, I don't know, maybe 15, 14, 15 years old. And they said the, the uh, butcher shop floor needed to be swept and scrubbed. So I got a broom. They paid me a dollar an hour. I was glad to get it. I swept all the wood shavings up, and I took a bucket and a steel brush, and I scrubbed that entire floor. When I got it clean, I put down fresh sawdust on it, you know, so they could use it. I, I worked in a store, whatever they told me to do, I just did because that's how I got paid. That's, that's where the money came from. Uh, I needed to make X amount of dollars to do things that I wanted to do. I remember I gambled one time. And the guy beat me shooting pool. And he walked over with me when I got paid and I had to hand him my money. I said, I'll never make that mistake again. And I, I don't gamble now, and I, I didn't gamble anymore after that because I didn't want my money to go away. 
But we get money for purpose, for reasons, to do things. But the love of God is without price. And some men have lost everything they had for the love of wine. In that store, I was working one day and we had a guy, I'm trying to remember what we called him. It was a, a, a reference to him being a drunk. He had had a great job with GM and he lost his job because he kept coming in drunk, hung over and stuff, and they finally fired him. His family finally left him. He had a cat that drank bourbon. It drank bourbon and stagger around the house and fall over drunk. Never seen a cat do that before. But I was there that day when it was raining, and this man in his drunken stupor didn't realize as he turned across three lanes of traffic, he caused a wreck. And the wreck was, he was driving a big old Bonneville, 1969 Bonneville. Them things as long as from here to that back wall. Massive cars. But the wreck was, was uh, hard enough. It knocked his pants down to his knees, and he walked in the store in that rain with his pants around his knees and got his shopping cart and started shopping until the police came in and arrested him. That's losing everything for alcohol and wine. And some of y'all know the same, could tell s s similar stories about people you know that lost everything they ever wanted, ever needed, ever had because they had to drink. They just had to drink. And I've buried a few that it's put in the ground through the years. But the love of God will never do that to you. You won't come out the loser. You may not have much as far as this world's concerned, but when you get on the other side, you'll be rich. That's for sure. What his love is not is something that it can be drunk as often as we wish without ever getting tired of it. I like banana pudding, but I can get tired of it. I like red velvet cake. I can get tired of it. I like chicken. I'm a preacher. Dr. Siler never ate chicken. Didn't like fowl of any kind. That's what you'd hear him say. He ate fish every day. But sometimes you just get sick of eating something. You just get tired of it. You're at the house and you open up the refrigerator and there's plenty of stuff in there, but you've been eating it and you just go, I don't want any more of this. And so you have to go someplace or order somebody to bring food to you. You'll never do that with the love of God. Every time you get a dose of the love of God, it'll just sharpen you for the next and sweeten you up for the next time around. You'll never, ever become tired of his love. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That, that first kiss is Calvary. We talked about the fact that uh, love is an attribute of God. Well, how does he express his love? Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son to die for our sins. John 3.16, which I could quote it, but all you could as well. 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The love of God extended to us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
So that's too complicated. You don't understand what you're saying. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's as simple as we can get it. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Then we want to think about the love of God extolled. You know, we sing that song, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. John chapter 17, verse 23, just look it up when you get home. But Jesus, that's, that's a chapter of Jesus praying. To me, that's the high priestly prayer of Christ. And he's praying, and when he gets to verse 23, he said, I want the world to know, Father, that you've loved them, talking about us, as you have loved me. That's deeper water than I can swim in, I'll be honest with you. To understand, and I'm not reading anything into the scripture, it says it, John chapter 17, verse 23. God loves us as much as he loved his son. Wow. An astounding truth. Makes me the more embarrassed when I fail him. Makes me the more embarrassed when I, you know, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. We sell him for less than that sometimes. Oh, the love of God. Then the Bible tells us in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, Flip over there just a second. Ephesians 2. Listen to this. Verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Angels don't know what it's like to be saved. That's what Peter tells us. Which things angels desire to look into. Angels were tested as individuals. We fell as a race. We have a federal head. Adam, and we have a federal head, which is Christ. We were in Adam until we got saved. Now we're in Christ. Amen? So angels don't, have never been saved, redeemed uh, as we have. Now, angels in the book of Revelation get involved in the worship. When the, when the people of God begin to shout hallelujah, you're going to find a place where all of a sudden the angels stop and say amen, hallelujah. If you had, and probably all of us do have pictures of our grandkids or maybe great grandkids or maybe just our kids on our phones and people get to talking about their families, oh yeah, I got a picture, let me show you this one. And they'll pop out a picture, you know, or or if you're in a, in a setting where they're there physically, they'll say, come here, come here. Son, come here. I want to introduce you to. Are you getting the picture yet? We're going to be in heaven and some angel will be standing there and he, the Lord will say, just wait a minute. Come over here, Freeman. I want to introduce you, this angel to you. He's going to put us on display. We're going to be trophies of God's grace. 
were going to be examples of what God's love could do and did do in our lives. We all deserve to go to hell, but we're not. And the reason we're not is let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love's better than wine. I don't have time to finish the rest of this, but I'll give you one more and we'll be done. A kiss is a sign of homage. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel anointed Saul as king of Israel, and he gave him a kiss, not on the lips, but on the cheek. That's how they do that. They actually just, my experience has been, they just lay their cheek next to yours and go, if they really like you, they'll go, and it's just a sign of affection. You, you're, you're my friend. They don't do it over here. We shake hands. But this was continued through the years as symbolizing the blessings and appointment of God to high office. Well, our king is Christ, and we're his subjects. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 38, there's a, down through verse 50, there's a woman which was a sinner. She gets under conviction for her sins, and so she goes in where Jesus is, where Simon's house, and what does she do? She washes his feet with her tears, and she kissed his feet. What the Bible says. That's repentance. She was willing to, to go to any length, any depth. Listen, when you get to that place where God's got you convinced, and you say, all right, Lord, whatever, you find out, he did it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He enjoys our repentance. He loves our faith. But he did all the work. We're not going to go to heaven because we're, I believed. I forced myself to believe. No, God gave you mercy and grace so you could believe. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So she's doing all that. What's the Lord's response? He says, Simon, Simon, you didn't do anything. Didn't anoint my head. Didn't do anything. But this woman hath not ceased to kiss my feet and to wipe her tears off my feet with the hairs of her head. What did he say to that woman? Go in peace, thy faith hath saved thee. Oh, my goodness. It's a sign of homage. If Jesus wanted me to kiss his foot, I'd do it. I, you know, that's the picture we're seeing here. That's what she's doing. Do you remember the woman with the issue of blood? Twelve years she'd had an issue of blood. Something, we don't know why, but she spent everything she had trying to get healed and couldn't be. Jairus has sent for Jesus to come to his home because his 12-year-old daughter is at the point of death and he's trying to hasten him along. Come on, come on, come on, Jesus, come on. My daughter's sick. Come on, Jesus. And the crowd's all around him. And that woman with that issue of blood got on her face because the Bible is very clear. She reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment. She had to get down low to do that. Reached out, and when she did, that quick virtue went out of Christ. It wasn't like that's a, the electrical place where you plug things in. No, 
she was believing that just touching the hem of his garment would heal her. Faith. And Jesus responded, Who touched me? And the disciple said, Who touched you? Everybody's touched you. You're in a crowd. What do you mean, who touched you? She comes with fear and trembling. I'm the one. I touched you. And Jesus talked to her and sent her away, healed and whole. About that time, Jairus' servants come and said, don't trouble the master, she's dead. I'm sure Jairus began to weep, and he said, oh, don't worry. She's just asleep. And Jesus went and raised her from the dead. What love. You know what? Do you remember what Jesus said about the little girl? Give her something to eat. As soon as she gets, as soon as she's awake, Talitha Kumai, give her something to eat. Why? Kids are hungry. <laughs> what a Savior we have. If we'd have designed that, it'd been the power of God. He'd gone in there and raised her from the dead. Trumpets would have blown and angels would have flapped their wings. We wouldn't have been thinking about feeding her. We might have been thinking about a big feast. But Jesus, the Jesus who wept over Lazarus, said, the little girl's hungry. Give her something to eat. Man, what a Savior. Let him kiss me. With the kisses of his mouth for his love. Oh, it's better than wine. Father, thank you for the word of God. Help us to draw some nectar out of these flowers, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.